Day, we salute our men and women, the veterans of our United States military on this Veterans Day. Today, we want to pay tribute. and We have a couple of special guests that you're going to want to just sit back, hear the stories of these two men. 16 million served in the armed forces of the U.S. during the Second World War, and more than 400,000 died. Millions supported the war effort from our homeland. Second World War began back in 1939 when Germany invaded Poland, ended around 1945 with the surrender of Germany and Japan. It was the largest armed conflict in history, spanning the entire world and involving more countries than any other war. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said, The generation of Americans has a rendezvous with destiny. This generation is here right now. We have with us M.B. Howard, who was with the Army Air Corps. We also have Holland Richardson. Mr. Richardson was with the 5th Marines Spearhead Division, B Company, the 28th Regiment. Gentlemen, welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint. How are you doing? Wonderful. Are you both from Memphis, Mr. Howard? No, I'm from Covington. Covington, Tennessee. Yes. What year were you born? And tell me about growing up in Covington. I was born in 1923. April 18th, outside of Covington at a, at a little place called Detroit. It's not Detroit, it's Detroit. Okay. <laughs> yes. My father was a merchant, grew up during the Depression days. So do you remember grabbing a pickle out of the pickle barrel? Uh, yes, and crackers out of the cracker barrel also. Okay. And Mr. Richardson, tell me where you grew up. I grew up in Stone County, Arkansas. The county seat was Mountain View. And I was born November the 4th, 1925. I was the youngest of eight children of Dona and Hervey Richardson. I had four brothers. All of us were in the service at the same time, and so some battle was in some battle around the world at the same time. Whenever we were rendezvoused in uh, Guam, we had 6,000 vessels floating that we went to Iwo Jima with, and I had two brothers in the Navy was somewhere in that group. Mr. Richardson, we all have seen the famous photograph that the photographer took as the Marines took Iwo Jima and raised the American flag. Mm-hmm. There's a monument now for World War II in Washington, D.C., where it stands so you were actually there when that took place. I landed with the first wave on Iwo Jima. We followed the naval barrage across the island, and that's the only reason that we got to the other side, which was about a mile, mile and a half wide. And the next 21 waves were pinned down on the beach. That's another thing that I can tell you that God protected me while I was there, although I was shot twice while I was on the island. But I praise the Lord for having done what he did. That's why I'm here today. Well, there was a special story that we want you to share about that. Before you got off the ship that morning, there was a big breakfast that was served for you. Can you take us back to that time and share what was going on then? Yes, I will. I'll be glad to. That got (laughs) us up at 3 o'clock in the morning. They fed us all the steak and eggs that we wanted to eat for Most people that were eating breakfast at that time, that was the last meal they'd ever eat. But my mother had sent me a a New Testament, just a small New Testament, and she sent inside that a piece of paper with all of the information on it I needed to know to be saved. So I read that information. I asked the Lord to save me. He did. 
I would not take anything for that Bible. Whenever I had some souvenirs that I wanted to keep in my sea bag, the only thing that was left in that was my New Testament, and the piece of paper that told me how to be saved was not there. And I said, Lord, maybe somebody that was not a Christian took that and read it, and maybe that they are saved and they'll see the Lord one of these days. Not only did that Bible give you new life in Jesus, but it also provided something else for you. That Bible went into a pocket, and uh, tell us about that story. Well, I carried that New Testament in my vest pocket, and that was over my heart. Now, that had a a gold-plated piece of metal on the front cover of that, and it said on that, May this keep you safe from harm. What that meant when I would be facing the enemy— and maybe the bullet would hit that piece of metal on the New Testament and stop from going in my heart. Well, I was called to go on the other side of a ravine that we couldn't get to from the south, and we had to go across over and from the north, and then we'd be able to see where the pillboxes and the people were dug in. Well, I was the last of the group that was going across, that shot came from the back, 13th rib, came out through the 12th rib, through the back edge of the Bible, but not one word of God's Word was touched. And I jumped in a bomb crater, and two from the platoon came over later and was going to try to get me back to the first aid station. Just as we had stepped up about two steps out of the bomb crater, the same fella in my mind that shot me the first time, he said, boy, I'm going to get him this time for sure. And I'm sure that the Lord told him, I don't know this for sure, it's just in my mind, says, I'm going to let you shoot him, but I'm not going to kill him. I did get back after dark to the first aid station, and then they fit me on a boat, got me back to a hospital ship, and when they laid me up on the uh, operating table, there was one doctor on each side of the table. One of them said to the other, is he still alive? I'll never forget this. I said, yes, sir. So I spent the next six months in the hospital. I can't imagine what it was like to go through that. I mean, just the fact that there was heavy assault from the enemy, the Japanese military, as you were trying to take over Iwo Jima. There was 10 days that it took us before we secured Mount Suribachi and the south end of the island that we could go north where the uh, airports were. That's what they were protecting in the uh, place that where they had dug in, pillboxes and craters and things like that. What did it mean for you, Mr. Richardson, to be there, to serve your country, knowing that when you stepped off that ship that morning after that big breakfast and you read your Bible, you might not ever see your family again? Well, you know, I never thought about that. All I had in my mind was doing is to do what I'd been trained to do. And Mr. M.B. Howard, you have an amazing story, too, as you served with this air crew. You were, at the last minute or right before you were to take off, were reassigned. We had been briefed four mornings straight to bomb some rail yards in Comoran, Hungary. And each morning we got up, it it was too cloudy over the target. So next morning we got up and, and our squadron had repaired some of the planes that had been shot up. And they pulled me out of my aircraft and put me in as lead navigator. 
of the squadron I was flying. I belonged to the 15th Air Force, the 344th Bomb Squadron, 98th Bomb Group. They replaced me with a fella named Samuel Pearson. I just found out within the past two years who took my place. My co-pilot, they moved him to another ship and put a fresh recruit who had come from overnight, another recruit. He hadn't flown any combat, and they put him in as a co-pilot. That morning, we, we were 12,000 feet high flying over the Adriatic, just about to get within sight of a town called Dubrovnik across the Adriatic Sea, and a plane ran into the tail of the B-24 my crew was flying. Someone said on an intercom said, a plane's been hit, and I looked around, and it was my plane. I had been waving to the guy in a nose turret just a few minutes before that, and, and they spun in 12,000 feet, and I could see the bombs as they would fall out of the plane, go ahead, and they were in a flat spin. We saw one chute get out, but it, it free fell for a number of feet below the plane, and then it disappeared. It seemed that our plane's aircraft, wide open engines, had run into this fellow, and we don't know who it was. Cut him all to pieces. A crew here of 10 men, I've counted. You're telling me that this was the plane that you were supposed to be on until right. you were reassigned. Right, right. And every one of these men went down. Except my pilot and bombardier were killed, yes. I had to spend the rest of that day navigating this squadron I was in to be sure we hit the target. I, I didn't have time to really think about what happened. I had to keep my mind, as Holland said, there on, on what you were supposed to do. Uh, my co-pilot was flying, so he didn't even know they'd been hit. There was no communication at all about, hey, we just lost a plane. They just 10 more men. When I got back that night, it was lonesome. It was lonesome. I mean, these were some of your friends. Yes, yes. Can you go through the list here? I have the photograph in my hand here. Can you go through and name some of the names, if you can remember? Or Oh, yes. Ginner, Ginner was our pilot. Uh, Lou Miller from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, was, was our bombardier. Ginner was from Queens, New York. This fellow's name was Coker from the Mid-South. This guy's name was Adams from Chicago. This guy was Burke. He was a radio man from uh, up above Detroit. McDonald was from Boston. He was an engineer. And Holler was from North Carolina. And Allard, who was studying to be a priest, was from Clayton, New Mexico. All of these men, of course, had families, had people that loved them very much. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And I'm so sorry that I, I didn't get to meet with all of those folks. You talked about the lonely feeling, Mr. Howard, about when you realized that you got back and weren't able to talk to these gentlemen again. And I'm sure for you too, Mr. Richardson, there was probably many lonely times because you built some great friendships, I'm sure, and had some friends, and then you never saw them again. That's right. What about your siblings? You said you had three other brothers that served in the armed forces. Yes, sir. I had four brothers. Uh, next to my oldest brother, his name was Arlen, spelled with an A, and he was a radio operator and gunner on a B-17. He was with the first group that went to England. He'd just graduated from college and came home and told us that he didn't want to be a foot soldier. He just guaranteed and volunteered for the Air Force. And then Faye, my oldest brother, he was in the Navy, and he was on some ship in the area that went from Guam to Iwo Jima. And Olin, my third brother, he was in the Navy, and he was somewhere on some ship in the convoy that was on the way to Iwo Jima. I didn't know it at the time. And then Ralph, my 
brother was just older than I was. He was in the regular army and served in Europe. And at one time, we got a letter that he was uh, missing in action, but later he turned up, praise the Lord. There's only two of us that were wounded, and the Lord allowed all five of us to come back home. What a wonderful deal. Thanks to God. Yes, sir, (laughs) only. I can't imagine the pain your mom and dad went through while you were gone, not knowing. Well, we grew up on the farm. They broadcast the Battle of Iwo Jima on the first landing. My dad got out of the house twice that day, one in the morning to water and feed the stock, and then at night before he went to bed, he water and feed the stock again. But he sat by the radio all day long because he knew where I was. I can't imagine what my mom and dad were thinking, but I know that uh, the Lord was in control and still is, and he taken care of the family, and praise the Lord for that. How many years, Mr. Howard, did you serve in the Army Air Corps? I only served almost four, and I got out, and then I got in the reserve program. been active in the reserve. In fact, I retired from the reserve program. I commanded a postal and courier unit out at the base here, and Took them to uh, Canal Zone, took them to Japan for training. This was during the Vietnam War. We went over and we went, we worked mail that was being transferred to Vietnam. Had a good life. Tom Brokaw, in his book that he wrote when he called The Greatest Generation, referred to your generation as just that, the greatest generation. Why do you think that was? Well, I'll tell you why I think it was, because he was one of the best newsmen that I heard of during that area. Right now, he is making effort to get funds to improve the World War II memorial in New Orleans, which my grandson took me to. It's wonderful to begin with. But he was an intelligent man, and he knew things that most of us had never thought of for you, Mr. Howard. Sure. Why do you think that your generation is considered the greatest generation? Because I think we saved the world. It wasn't just a war in one country. This this was a war all over the world, and, and it was saved by a bunch of young people. We were just youngsters. How old were you, by the way? I was 22, just out of high school, year of college. And for you, sir? I had just finished high school. I already had four brothers in the service. People asked me, he said, well, what did you do during the war? I said, well, I had just finished high school, and I was listening to a, a radio commercial, and they said all the Marine Corps needed was a few good men, so I volunteered. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Definitely, you are good men. And I thank you again for that service. When you made that commitment, you knew that our country was at war. You knew the world was at war. Can you take us back to maybe some of those thoughts at that time? Well, I really didn't think much about that and what was going on, but uh, I knew that I wanted to do what I could, first of all, to help family and to help people that I knew in the area and people I went to school with in this country, which I knew was the best country in the world. I wanted to do what I could to help us enjoy the freedom that we're enjoying now. For you, Mr. Howard? A little background. I attended a grammar school in a little place called Garland, Tennessee. And each year we had had a Methodist church and a Baptist church there. Each year they had an August revival. We'd go one day 
to hear the Methodist preacher preach, and we'd go another day and hear the Baptist preacher preach. They were in different weeks. But we'd, we'd walk up that gravel road barefooted. I remember where I was sitting when the Lord saved me, and I felt like I was the greatest sinner in the world. I got that weight off me by accepting Christ. Twelve years old. What a special story. Let's remind our friends we're honoring our veterans today on this Veterans Day program on Mid-South Viewpoint. We are visiting with Mr. M. B. Howard and Mr. Holland Richardson. I just want to open up the phone lines. If friends wanted to call, thank these men. Uh, what changes have you gentlemen seen in our country? I'm sure a few. Well, I call myself the GPS of a B-24. Radar was just coming into being. We, we couldn't use the radio, so it, most of it had to be dead reckoning and pilotage. We had to see where we were. I think now how it's changed. One man with one plane could do as much damage as the 98th bomb group did in one day. So the technology definitely Technology has... way jumped up there. Mr. Richardson, what changes have you noticed? The main thing that I've noticed in my lifetime is people that have not enjoyed the freedom that we have here in America. I don't know why that I think in my mind that they were probably a little bit jealous of us and they wanted to share some of what we were sharing for, and that's what some of the other people from around the world come to America for the seeking, the pleasure of just knowing that you had freedom and you could do what you wanted to do to enjoy life. You think we maybe have taken things for granted, maybe, yes. not really understanding what it costs to be free. Yes, I think so. Why don't we go to the phone line right now? Nan is calling from Memphis. Hi, Nan, and welcome to Mid-South Viewpoint on this Veterans Day. I think you probably just said what I told your screener, is that these gentlemen fought that war and did such a good job at it that we have had such peace that Americans don't know when they go to sleep what these men have given us. I am a daughter of that, and I just thank them so, so much. Nan, thank you for that call. We appreciate it. I know these gentlemen do, too. Praise God. She was just kind of going along with what we were talking about, guys, the fact that many have taken it for granted, the freedoms that we have, and don't understand the cost that was involved. How can we get back to the place of being more appreciative and thankful and love for our country, do you think? Well, I, I think people are being missionary like you and just continue to tell people about Jesus Christ and how much he loved not just me and you and this gentleman, Brother Howard, the world that he sent his only son to die on the cross for each one of us that we can trust him for eternal life. And one day he's going to call us home. That is so true. What a wonderful story that is. Well, let's go back now to the phone line. And all the way from Covington is Rebecca. Rebecca, hi, and welcome to our Mid-South Viewpoint Veterans Day program. Yes, I just wanted to thank the two men today that's on your program for their service to our country. Did you have family also that served? I did. I had five brothers. I lost one brother in Korea, and I had three brothers in World War II. God bless you, Rebecca. So we tried to help the country all we could, because it's the best. It is the best. It really yeah. is. Yes. And thank those two gentlemen very, very much. Thank you, Rebecca. We appreciate your call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye now. 
Looking back, and when we get to this time of year, and there's special celebration parades that goes on, how does that make you feel, looking back, thinking about friends that aren't here with you to celebrate, looking back over the whole course of your life? How does a day like Veterans Day make you feel? It makes me feel wonderful that I get to see so many people and to witness to them, just like the time yesterday that I spoke at the school. It's great that they let me witness to people where I work. And I can't tell you the many people that I've witnessed to and they prayed to see Jesus Christ as eternal life. That's the only thing we can take to heaven with us. That's right, Mr. Richardson. How about for you, Mr. Howard? I was thinking about the day that I'd never seen as much flack in all my life. We were on a bomb run, and we were flying through this flack, and I was scared. And I, I just lay my head down. I said, Lord, if you'll get me back home, I'll do anything you want me to do. And I think there were a lot of promises that were made during World War II in combat. A lot of them weren't kept. You kept your promise. I tried to. I I was elected uh, a uh, brotherhood director of of our Baptist Association in Tipton County. I thought I was going to want to make that uh, the brotherhood as as large as a Southern Baptist Convention. And uh, one Sunday we had the chaplain from Fort Pillar Prison to come speak to us. I uh, volunteered the men of 32 churches to help him. He called me the next day and said, when can you come over? That's one of the most uh, gratifying ministers I, I guess I've ever been in. Wow. It took me about six months to realize that Matthew 25, 26, I believe it is, I was in prison and you came unto me, that I was visiting Jesus Christ in that prison. And I wondered why I felt so good when I came out at night. By the way, let me, let me share this with you. I, I did a uh, popcorn ministry there. Uh, we, we, we would sit, a group of prisoners would sit and talk an hour. They, they, they liked to get some things off their chest. Then we studied next Sunday Sunday school lesson. But anyway, I took a supermarket bag full of popcorn and slid another one down over it with some paper plates in it. And, and I'd go to the guard shack, and we'd take that paper sack off of there and pour it through throw so they'd see I wasn't carrying any contraband in. And they'd usually have a little popcorn. But I figured in the 15 years that I went over there on Monday nights that I popped some 3,000 gallons of popcorn and drove a distance equal to around the world just going over there and back. But it was out of this came other ministries. Gentlemen, our time has slipped away, but I want to say again thank you. I want to thank you not only for serving our country, but for serving our Lord Jesus Christ. Mr. M.B. Howard, Mr. Holland Richardson, for the things that you do now for the kingdom of Christ and for his name. But thank you for sharing your life with us. Again, we salute you two gentlemen on this Veterans Day. Thank you so much for coming by and being our guest. Thank you for the opportunity. Praise the Lord. Bob Whelan is here in 1969. Yes, uh, I was serving with the 25th Infantry Division, and our assignment was to turn a place called the Hobo Woods, which was an enemy stronghold, and the goal was to turn it into a parking lot. But to our surprise, it was our company that got ambushed, and all my partners were yelling and screaming for help, help. I had to make a quick decision. I didn't have many choices, only two. One run in the opposite direction for safety. Second choice, Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13. 
Greater love has no man than this, that a man be willing to lay down his life for his friends. Those are my friends. I ran up and I set off and detonated an 82-millimeter mortar. Powerful explosive. Could put a tank out of commission, kill people up to it, including a 30-yard radius, and I was standing on it. My legs were blown off instantly. They went flying in one direction. My life went in another. Yeah, I lost my legs, but I didn't lose my heart. As we look around in society today, just about everybody has legs, but a lot of people are losing heart. And that's why I'm so appreciative of what you're doing by rent through this radio show. Inspiring and encouraging people. Always remember, it's too soon to quit. Prior to that time, when you were thinking about, hey, when this war gets over, I want to do X, what were your plans? Well, I was right in the process of getting drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies as a left-handed pitcher. Those are my goals. Those are my dreams. But I did get sidetracked a little bit, but it just was such a blessing to be alive. People encounter pain of life, and they think, really, truly, the only answer to this is death. And they miss a key point, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they miss John chapter 10, verse 10, which says Jesus has come to give us life, to give it to us more abundantly, and it doesn't say anything about being in a wheelchair. So I took that scripture, and I said, I better start acting on this scripture, and also Romans eight thirty seven, which tells us we're more than conquerors through him. That's Jesus who loves us. By the way, the website, if somebody wants to stop by and learn more about Bob Whelan, you also have a book you've written. Yeah, the book's One Step at a Time. If somebody wants to get a book real quick, the only way you can get it is through Amazon. But the website, Bob Whelan, W-I-E-L-A-N-D dot net. My dear brother Bob, thank you for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom. Thank you so much for coming by today. Today's Mid-South Viewpoint is brought to you by Navage. Just think about all the nasty stuff we breathe in every day. You know, the dust, allergens, bacteria, pollen, pollution. You know the things in Memphis here. What are we breathing? Well, if you wash your hands and brush your teeth every day, then why aren't you cleaning your nose to clean out all that junk that's trapped up in there? Let me tell you about this product. If you suffer from allergies, sinus infections, or are worried about what you're breathing in, it's called Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. What's Navage? Well, it's the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. People that have suffered from lifelong allergies call Navage a complete game changer. They are breathing more clearly, sleeping better, snoring less, and feeling a whole lot better. In fact, 90% of people who use Navage report feeling healthier. Now with cold and flu season just around the corner, why not make Navage part of your daily health routine? Experience what it's like to truly breathe better, sleep deeper, and feel healthier. Go ahead and visit Navage.com. That's Navage.com. Or you can find Navage at Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, Bed Bath & Beyond, and Target. Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E.